Bankless Nation, it is Friday morning. You know what time it is. It's a Friday morning Bankless Weekly roll-up. A little bit different this week because uh, Ryan, the AI, powered down for the moment. He and uh, his other AI kids and an AI wife are all at the beach. Uh, and so we're bringing in the substitute teacher, Anthony Zizano. Anthony, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. Great to be here. Great to be the substitute teacher. We all know the substitute teacher is always the one that you have the most fun with, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, we always love the change of pace. Uh, so, yeah, we all know what's going to happen next. It's the end of the week, Friday weekly roll-up. It's the third week of June. So you got to drink. Go grab your morning coffee uh, because we are going to recap the entire week in crypto, uh, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless. Some big things happened this week in the world. We got further Three Arrows Capital contagion to talk about. Uh, the cancer spread a little bit further than what we originally thought last week. So we're going to cover all of that. Also, DYDX spins up DYDX chain on Cosmos, leaving Ethereum for going for the Cosmos chain. So we're going to talk about that. And Uniswap acquires an NFT aggregator. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as well. You know what to do. Got to like and subscribe. If you're watching this on the YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching this on the podcast, go give us those five-star reviews because the ETH price and the five-star review number are highly <laughs> correlated. So if you want that bull market to come back, we need those five-star reviews. Uh, Anthony, ready to get into the markets? Let's get into it. Starting with Bitcoin, of course, coming in at $20,500. A little bit flat on the week, I'd say, maybe a slight down. Uh, Anthony, how are all you feeling about overall in the market and Bitcoin price? Uh, I don't know. Like The markets are, are in a funny place, I think. They've done things over the past, I think, few weeks that uh, people never thought they would do, right? Like BTC mm -hmm. and ETH both, both going under their old all-time highs. ETH did it first, then BTC caught up after it. And we've kind of like bounced back. ETH is still not back above its old all-time high, but Bitcoin mm -hmm. is back above that 20K. Uh, and I think it's kind of like no man's land right now where people are like oh did we actually bottom at that eight in the 800s there for eth or are we going lower and i think people are just scared to, to bid right now because of that right they just don't want to get caught buying something that's going to go down even more but we don't know right it's just very very hard to tell right now i think yeah, certainly. Ether coming in at $1,100 right now, which is about 24% below its previous all-time high, which is kind of a big oof, I'd say. Uh, that, mm. I don't really think we've seen that in prior market cycles. Usually the previous all-time high, is it, the crypto prices stay well above that. Um, so yeah. that, that yeah. is uncharted territory. Look, I think we didn't go as high as people thought that we were going to go on the way up, right? And I think that because of that, we came down... Percentage-wise, ETH is down, what, 80%, which is obviously less than last bear market, which is 94%. And last bear market, uh, BTC went down 85%. So I think because we went up less, we've just come down like similar amount. But because of that, uh, it means that we've kind of like gone below that old all-time high, which once that broke, it was kind of like, well, you know, where's the support now sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, that's just brutal looking at 2018 right now, like 94% yeah. <laughs> down. So it's so crazy to see. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, not from 2017, it went down 94%. Oopsies. Uh, but then it went up in total from the bottom. Oh, a, a, a casual 5,500% to the very, very pico top. And then from that 5,000% up, we are down another 75%. So, you know, like three, three steps forward, one step backward, 5,000% up, 75% down. These are normal, normal shenanigans, I guess, if you zoom out in the crypto world. Uh, quick comment on the ETH BTC ratio. Uh, the new, new number is about 0 0.054. Uh, we did get to, to a low number of just below 0 0.05, but it looks like uh, the ETH BTC ratio is defending 
the 0.5 number, 0.05 number. Anthony, any comments on the ETH-BTC ratio? I think, look, uh, what, uh, the overall market is bearish and I think people are risk off in general and the wider market definitely considers ETH to be at least a little bit riskier than BTC is to hold. So, you know, we did see the ratio kind of lose strength there, but I think it's on kind of like a support level right now. Uh, you know, depending on what the market does, I, I'm not sure where the ratio goes from here. Obviously, we have a huge catalyst coming up towards the end of the year for Ethereum with the merge, which is not just a huge catalyst on the technology side, but also on the, the market side but I don't have any strong feelings with the ratio right now. I think it's in the same position where it's kind of like, you know, it could go either way at this point. Yeah, totally. All right, moving to the total crypto market cap. We're coming in at 0.95 trillion dollars. So still below that $1 trillion mark, uh, a little bit flat on the week. Um, but overall, crypto in the last seven days, flat-ish. Flat um, there's been some, some losses here and there. Any other comments about the total crypto market cap, uh, Anthony? Uh, we've come down a lot, right? Three trillion, I think, was yeah. the top, and now it's under a trillion. Uh, yeah, it kind of like hurts that it's that low, but I think it, it's dictated right. mostly by the top coins, right? Like Bitcoin and ETH and stable coins, things like that. So, you know, it can change overnight, right? It can go back up to mm -hmm. 1.5 trillion before we even, or something like that before we even know. So, I don't know how much stock I put in the total market cap, but it gets a lot of media coverage, that's for sure. Certainly does. Did you uh, slurp any three digit ETH, my, my brother? Any, I did, so did you I, eat? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get to taste? catch the the exact bottom because I was sleeping. Um, mm. I got it at like nine hundred because I had I have resting buy orders like down every fifty bucks until like five hundred dollars. So I was able to slurp it around nine hundred uh, when I woke up. I was like, oh yeah, that buy hit. Well, that's scary and good <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> It's always when uh, you feel fear and you press buy anyways is when the opportunity arises. Uh, there's a, a fun perspective for the, for the newbies out there. This is a, a frequent format for, for Bitcoin tweets. In 2011, the tweet reads, in 2011, Bitcoin fell below $20. In 2015, Bitcoin fell below $200. In 2017, Bitcoin fell below $2,000. And in 2022, Bitcoin <clears throat> fell below $20,000. I actually don't know if it fell below $2,000 in 2017. I don't remember getting, it getting that low. Uh, um, it would have been like the meme is it would have been like the volatility from like the start of the run, right? It's kind of like cherry picked, mm. but I guess that's what they, they, they were just trying to make like a pattern, <laughs> right? Right, right. Well, I mean, when you make the pattern and you ultimately get a 4, 14,000 like tweet, uh, what would the e uh, price for Ether be if we did this? It would be like $80 in 2017, uh, almost $800 so far. Um, maybe, maybe next time it's $8,000. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe. Hopefully. That would be bullish. <laughs> Uh, and then one last comment on the on the markets, a different market than what we usually talk about, but the GPU markets are starting to get flooded. Here's a tweet that I thought was pretty interesting uh, that reads, Chinese miners and South Asian, uh, I don't know what the next word is, uh, now dismantling their mining rigs and putting up cards for auction on live streams. Uh, 360 Ti's, which is a NVIDIA graphics card, going for 300 to 500, or 300 to 350 dollars uh, US dollars, which if anyone has been paying attention to the GPU mining Market, or, no, the GPU market for like gaming and also mining, GPUs have been super highly priced for, I don't know, two years now. Uh, and it looks like a lot of people are, are starting to actually, the GPU miners are quote unquote pricing in the merge by selling their GPUs on the open market. Uh, and so GPU prices can finally come down. If you guys, if anyone has been on the hunt for a GPU to build out their gaming computer, uh, it has turned into a buyer's market. Uh, Anthony, any comments on this? 
I've had a thesis for a while that this was going to happen. Uh, you know, you mentioned the merge, but also obviously as the prices come down, miners have to sell because it's just not profitable for them to mine anymore. So I think especially, you know, obviously once the merge happens, like all these miners have basically nothing as profitable to mine. Like some of them will go to other chains that are, that are compatible with GPUs, but most of them will flood the market. And I actually remember posting to some friends a few months ago that I, I thought shorting NVIDIA would have been a good trade. Uh, and that has so far been a good trade and I didn't take it of course because i don't really short things but yeah it's just obvious to me that there's just going to be an absolute flood of gpus and i think nvidia themselves should be scared of this because they're trying to launch a new kind of like line of gpus by end of the year well why would anyone buy their new line when they can get like a severely discounted uh mining gpus which um for those who don't know uh miners when they use these gpus it doesn't actually materially reduce the gpus effectiveness and doesn't really harm them so it's not like you're buying a card that's going to die on you within a few months uh the card is is fine to buy it's just that it's severely discounted because there's going to be so many of them flooding the market at once and it's going to be a pretty good time for gamers i think that want to that want to pick up a card here yeah i actually came into the world of crypto via mining and so uh, i remember like uh taking the profit maximalist approach to mining was not to actually run these units at super hot high speeds. You would run it at like 80 to 85% capacity because you need that thing to live a long time and not break down on you. Uh, and, and I do think there's gonna be like this stigma discount on these things where like, oh, a mining, like gamers are kind of like, uh, what's the word? Uh, kind of like, priv- what's, what's the word I'm going for? Uh, I know, I'm I really know what picky. You're, I know what you're looking yeah. for. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're really, really picky, right? And so, like, no, I don't want, like, a, a mining GPU in my computer. Like, that's, I don't want the miners to have touched my GPU. I want my GPU to be flawless. But the, the GPUs themselves, the cards are, are going to be, like, not bad. So, uh, different different corner of the market, the, the uh, GPU market. But uh, you can start to see the effects of the merge getting priced in here. All right, fam, coming up next, we're going to talk about the Three Arrows Capital Contagion, the continued fallout from that, and of course, DYDX chain, as well as the Uniswap acquisition of Genie, the NFT aggregator, right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. And we're back. All right, we're going to have to talk about the further reach of the Three Arrows Capital cancer, the spread of the virus, the spread of the contagion. Voyager is an exchange, apparently. Ryan, uh, Anthony, and I were just talking about like what the hell Voyager is right before we uh, we got here. Uh, not an not an exchange I'm familiar with, but somehow they ended up having uh, exposure to Three Arrows Capital, uh, and Voyager tweeted out. To better serve and protect our customers in current market conditions, today we announced that we signed a term sheet for a $200 million and 15,000 Bitcoin revolving line of credit with industry leader Alameda Research. We'll get into the Alameda side of the story here. The reason, the details behind this, why this is happening, is because apparently uh, Voyager had $663 million of money that they just lent out to Three Arrows Capital, which then like went full leverage, full tilt leverage, and then lost it all. Uh, and so uh, apparently Voyager, an exchange, lent Three Arrows Capital $660 million. Uh, and now that Three Arrows Capital is completely insolvent, uh, they lost all that money, which is weird that it's coming from an exchange. Anthony, what, what are your thoughts on here? I, I just can't believe like this stuff that's come out over the last few weeks. Like, 
people, the, the funny thing about people in the crypto space, I mean, probably people just generally is that they think that because someone has a lot of money or like a company has a lot of money or a fund has a lot of money, that they ha that they somehow have like uh, the, the intelligence to back that up. And as we've seen from the three hours capital fallout, that definitely wasn't true. They were literally pretty much the same as the DGENs you see on crypto Twitter, just with a bigger kind of balance sheet. And it's also seems to be that they didn't actually have much of their own money. They didn't take outside capital as investment, but they borrowed money from pretty much everyone. And then were putting mm -hmm. that into their trades and then paying back the, the loans, right, that they took out using the profits from those trades and not telling anyone that they were borrowing from everyone else. And obviously once they blew themselves up, they had all this exposure to various parties out there. And I don't know why Voyager gave them so much money because you just saw in the tweet, they, don't, they have like $150 million left themselves, which basically makes them insolvent if 3AC doesn't pay them back, right? Um, right. And I'm just so confused. Like, why did they do this? Like, did they really get FOMO and think that 3AC was gonna trade this money up to be worth billions of dollars or something for them? And the fact that they're kind of like, I think a, a customer facing exchange as well, uh, that kind of like has retail investors, it's really sad because retail investors have gotten absolutely slaughtered over the last few months, mm -hmm. right? They had the Terra stuff, then you had Celsius, you had Block BlockFi recently. BlockFi, there hasn't been any fallout there yet because they got bailed out too. But you know, you have uh, kind of like Voyager now it's just like how 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 much damage have we done in such a short period of time to these people like it, it's actually just insane to me right here's a, a tweet from Tom Lombardi showing one of the like terms and conditions of Voyager where there is a consent to rehypothecate uh, which I best I guess means that if you put your money in Voyager you are consenting to let it let them go and do whatever that they want with your money, kind of like a bank. Uh, and Tom, the, the take here from Tom is that when you don't know where the yield comes from, you are the yield. So you go and deposit your money into Voyager. Voyager on the back end gives all of their money to Three Hours Capital, who probably <laughs> like promised Voyager some yield, right? Like give us, mm -hmm. give us your money, uh, and then we'll go and give you this percentage of yield. And to some degree, and this also happened. We talked about this last week, where a lot of startups gave Three Hours Capital their treasury. Uh, to go do that same thing, right? Like here's here's our treasury for our new project that from what we just raised, uh, Thero's Capital, please go give us like six percent yield, and then like Thero's Capital like probably just takes it and puts it into like Anchor on Terra Luna, and then that <laughs> that goes down bad, uh, and then they leverage themselves up, probably trying to make it back, uh, and that which just never ends up working out. Anthony, you brought up uh, BlockFi, so uh, this is also part of that story. Zach Prince, the CEO of uh, BlockFi, goes uh, today BlockFi timed. Uh, signed a deal sheet, just kind of like Voyager did, uh, with FTX official, also kind of like how Voyager did, to secure a $250 million revolving, revolving credit facility, providing us uh, with access to capital that further bolsters our balance sheet and platform strength. Uh, the proceeds of that credit facility are intended to be contractually subordinate to all client balances across all account types and will be used as needed, basically to m ensure that BlockFi is solvent enough to allow for users to withdraw their assets, and they're actually being assets there to withdraw and they're getting this money by uh, a loan from FTX because BlockFi, like many other lenders in this space, basically every crypto lender that that Three Arrows Capital could borrow money from, Three Arrows Capital borrowed money from, uh, BlockFi included. Uh, and so uh, Zach and, and, Blo and BlockFi, like definitely like I would call it more regulated, more above the board type of lender out there. But even, you know, even BlockFi is not immune to this. Anthony, any thoughts on the, on the BlockFi side of things? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're just very quickly seeing why CeFi is not sustainable, why CeFi is what we're trying to replace with DeFi, right? While we're actually trying to build better systems is because once you throw your funds into these CeFi platforms, it's opaque as hell and you have absolutely no idea what they're doing with your funds. As opposed to DeFi, even if these DeFi protocols aren't actually decentralized, you can still track whatever what, what, what's happening on chain, right? You can see where all the funds are going, like it's all open and transparent parent uh, and there's no need to kind of like uh, 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 just kind of be in the dark about it and even with the terror collapse people were screaming about it for a long time because you could see exactly how it all worked I mean even the white paper told you how it worked whereas with these CFI platforms you're just throwing money into the void and hoping you can withdraw it one day and mm -hmm. you mentioned they were regulated they are but they're not regulated like banks are right and they don't suffer the right. same consequences as banks and that's what they need to get to if they want to be you know a, a better platforms but I, I think that's going to come now I think regulators are really going to screw these guys now because they've just played with fire and got burnt yeah like we say frequently on Bankless if you can be regulated you should be regulated and if you can't be regulated it's because you're decentralized and you're transparent and therefore you're regulated by code the last part of this story comes from BlockFi which is apparently allegedly uh struggling to raise. Uh, so they are going through another raise round. I believe BlockFi raised something, uh, that, that raised at a valuation of like $5 billion. At least that's what this tweet says from Frank Shaparo at the block. Definitely a reputable news source. So when, when Frank's tweets something, it's not, it's not like vapor. Uh, and so previously, BlockFi raised at a $5 billion valuation. And then they are now raising, again, raising more money, uh, but at a valuation of just about $1 billion. Uh, so going from a $5 billion valuation to a $1 billion valuation in about six months time. Uh, so a significant loss of valuation by BlockFi. I mean, probably related to crypto market prices going down, yields going down, but then also like losing a bunch of money to three euros capital too. Uh, and so uh, overall, just like not a, it's a bad week to be a centralized money lender. Let me tell you that, Anthony. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, mean, I think this is just following on with the trend as well of like uh, the private markets coming down. They, they typically lag the public markets by about three to six months, but some of the private mm -hmm. valuations are getting way ahead of themselves. And when I saw BlockFi raise at that valuation, that $5 billion one, I even thought at the time that that was insane. Like I didn't think that they were worth that much at all based on kind of like, uh, I guess what they were at the time. And definitely today they're not. And I think the market is kind of repricing that there and also repricing the risk now uh, of these kind of like uh, these services. All right, moving on to the second big news item of the week, DYDX chain, the whole entire blockchain. Uh, DYDX the, uh, has, it used to have its own layer two on Ethereum using Starkware technology, and it still does. I don't think they've migrated yet, but they are planning DYDX version four, which includes DYDX chain, which is a Cosmos chain. So going from Ethereum layer two to a Cosmos zone, I think. Uh, and so they, they tweet out, DYDX v4 will be developed as a standalone blockchain based on the Cosmos SDK and Tendermint proof of stake consensus protocol. At DYDX, we embrace radical changes in technology that have the potential to dramatically improve the protocol. After exploring the landscape of current and upcoming blockchain technologies, we've decided that Cosmos will allow us to build the best and fully decentralized protocol. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this move? So there's, there's a lot of thoughts here, like a lot of thoughts. Um, I do want to say that I think DYDX isn't being that forthcoming with their reasoning here. 
I think that like uh, from people I've spoken to and just thinking about this a lot uh, since it was announced, I think that the main reason they're doing this is regulatory. I don't actually think this has much to do with the technical uh, aspects of it. And I'll explain my reasoning there. In this announcement, in this blog post, they talk a lot about decentralization, right? Decentralization this, decentralization mm -hmm. that, blah, 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 right? Right now with their Starkware implementation of DYDX, they cannot decentralize it because Starkware does not have the ability to have decentralized sequences yet. Uh, Starkware hasn't, hasn't put in those features uh, or anything like that. And the order book specifically is centralized and DYDX does all the matching and things like that. Whereas with a Cosmos chain, for example, they can spin up their own validators. They can say, well, there's DYDX. People can, can stake their, val uh, token holders can stake their, val um, their tokens and validate the chain. And then they can kind of say to regulators or anyone that comes knocking, hey, we're actually decentralized. We don't centrally control any part of the protocol. It's part of the, the, uh, the um, DYDX protocol and there's, there's uh, nodes that validate it and they're spread all around the world. When in reality, it's not really going to be that decentralized because the 50% of the token supply belongs to insiders anyway. But I guess that's orthogonal to the to the point of that. I think this is just much more to, to go to do with regulatory than it does with technical, because I actually think this is the third time that DYDX has now pivoted on their product stack. First, they were on layer one Ethereum, then they went to Starkware layer two. Now they're doing DYDX chain and Honestly, like, yes, they're, they're kind of like got a lot of traction as their layer two and their layer two is actually really cool. I love using it. But uh, from what I've seen, they're nowhere near the capacity that Starkware can give them, right? I think they do like 10 TPS or something like that. And I'm sure Starkware has plans to decentralize the sequencer and, and kind of like uh, improve their technology and bring more scale and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's less technical and much more regulatory for those reasons I outlined. And I just don't think that this is a good move from that perspective because I get the regulatory side of things, but you're sacrificing your, your product and your technology for that. And maybe they believe that they can build a better product. Maybe they truly believe leave it but i don't know like from everything i know layer twos are still strictly better than cosmos chains and it's not even a technically a cosmos zone because they're not going to connect to the cosmos hub from from what i've seen there's going to be their own standalone chain that uses cosmos technology and the DYDX token will be used mm. to validate the network. And so by doing that, they're actually giving up heaps of security too, right? Like they're literally leave, leaving, say you're in like a massive fortress and you have an army protecting you, that this is what they're doing. They're leaving that fortress and they're going to their own camp out in the wilderness, have a few guards posted, and that's how they're going to protect their, their chain now. So I think the trade-offs that they're taking here are really, really kind of like bad. And I actually don't think this is a positive for them. Uh, but as I said, if it's if you take the regulatory view, I think it makes a lot more sense than the technical view. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that take. That's a, an interesting take that I haven't heard yet. About the, the security comment, uh, this is also where the changes in the DYDX token come into play. Uh, and so the uh, the DYDX token, which uh, you know is is a token on, on Ethereum, but is now going to be part of its own layer one blockchain. This is a brand new layer one blockchain that's coming to play here. Uh, the, in in this blog post, they go the DYDX token. Uh, is the protocol token of the, of the DYDX protocol, of course, governed by its holders. The V4 protocol is designed with a need for a layer one protocol token. The protocol token would be used for staking to validators as well as ongoing governance of the chain. 
the, T, the DYDX token would seem to be a natural fit to be used as the layer one token uh, of the V4 network, but we look forward to understanding the perspectives of the DYDX community. Uh, I'm trying to find where this is on screen, but I'll find that in a sec. But basically, now in order to have a, D, a, a layer one blockchain, uh, you need to have a token. And so like DYDX is becoming the ether of, of uh, you know, ether is to Ethereum, DYDX token is to DYDX. Uh, and now you stake DYDX and run a validating node and you like process the blockchain as one does. Uh, but this, uh, like previously DYDX didn't have to pay for security, which is what you were saying. They would just they would just receive the security from Ethereum. Now that they're going to their own layer one blockchain, there needs to be DYDX emissions to pay for security. Changing the nature of the token, uh, and the, and so you can now, if you're bullish on DYDX, you can now stake it, run a node, process the blockchain, and receive those emissions. But this is now an expenditure that the system didn't previously have, and now it does have because, like you said, they have to pay for their own security. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. And I think like, you know, some people have kind of brought up, uh, brought up points around, oh, they, are they doing this because they want to drive more value to the DYDX token? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I could see that, right? There is, a, there is typically a layer one premium, some of these things get. But at the same time, uh, by, by doing this, as you said, they have to inflate their token to secure their chain here. Um, and actually one thing I forgot to mention about the regulatory stuff before and gives further kind of like proof to this is that the airdrop that DYDX did, they barred US investors from getting that airdrop. So they have been very, very careful when it comes to regulatory stuff, right? So I think that um, that game is kind of like further proof that this is a lot to do with regulatory stuff rather than technical technical stuff. We've had Antonio on the show before, and one of the takes that I've really enjoyed from Antonio is that he is not uh, he is not a maximalist in anything other than DYDX himself. He's going to build the best uh, derivatives exchange possible, and we enjoy, we I like that take because he was building it as a layer two on Ethereum, and he says that he's going to be able to beat out competition by by optimizing for decentralization and using decentralization as a tool. Uh, but the take here is Antonio is a DYDX maximalist. He's going to do whatever possible to make DYDX the best exchange possible. And so the the, the writing on the wall actually started I think forever ago when. Suzu had that abandoning Ethereum uh, tweet, uh, which you can, which Antonio retweeted and said, "Here's a risky tweet of the day." This is uh, said much harsher than I would put it, but I somewhat directionally agree. Ethereum has not executed over the past years. I can't think of a single 10x useful improvement Ethereum has made in the last four years. Uh, and this was back in like November of 2021 when uh, we had this like drama with Suzu and the Ethereum community. Uh, and Antonio kind of tapped on and, and agreed with Stu, saying like, "Well, you know." Ethereum as a protocol hasn't really upgraded, and so uh, the writing on the wall here uh, was 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 definitely present. Uh, and then later, Antonio tweets, "I don't, I 100% don't care what chain DYDX is built on. All I care are the technical trade-offs, decentralization, security, scalability, UX, etc. DApps will move to other chains if or when they offer better trade-offs. Anyone who doesn't like it will be outcompeted." Uh, so you could you could kind of see the the tone that Anthony was taking forever ago. Antonio, excuse me, uh, was taking forever ago in t November 2021, uh, and now it has come to fruition of DYDX going on its own blockchain. We are actually having a Antonio for uh, the State of the Nation this coming Tuesday. So we're going to talk to him about this this uh, decision uh, and like what made him uh, make this decision for moving DYDX over to Cosmos. Uh, there's some takes from some ecosystem participants. Uh, Polynaya had this take where he said uh, they said very interesting. 
Technically, everything here can be done with rollups, and better so for many reasons. There are two advantages of going with their own layer one blockchain I can think of, sovereignty and timing. Probably a combination of both. Concerned about the plummeting security though, one observation and potential red flag, they have some deep answers about uh, they have some deep answers about decentralization, but there's not a peep about security. They say they will use the DYDX token with 50% of tokens allocated to insiders. How will this thing be economically secure and sustainable? What do you think of Polynaya's take here, Anthony? Yeah, I think he has it on, on the money. Uh, I think it, like, when you kind of look at these sorts of stuff and the arguments from the pro, I guess, Cosmos people, I should say, their arguments usually revolve around them thinking that sovereignty is critical. They think that every chain should be an app chain, should be sovereign, should be able to do what it wants and have full control over its uh, kind of like destiny. And you know what? I actually get that. I get that view. I don't agree with it, but I get it. And I think this is where the divide comes as well from Ethereum and Cosmos. Like Ethereum ecosystem believes that sovereignty of a chain is just really not that important. You don't get any benefits from it. The trade-off includes, you know, your plummeting security, as Polynaya said here. Um, and then timing, I would also agree with because I don't think Starkware is ready right now for what DIDX wants to do. Mm. So if they're trying to get ahead of regulators, then they, they you know, it's, it's probably existential enough for them to kind of like go to a, a new chain as as well there. So so yeah, I agree with those points. But I also just wanted to quickly touch on what you were saying with Antonio before. I actually don't really believe what Antonio was saying a lot of the time. Like a lot of the comments I've seen from him over the years, and this might be controversial. I don't know Antonio personally or anything like that, but the comments that he's made, especially that tweet that you highlighted from November 2021, showed that he just doesn't really have a deep understanding of Ethereum or its scaling roadmap or how it's going to kind of like get to where he... I, you know, he would want it to be for for DYDX. So I do believe it when he says he's at DYDX Maxi because it's his company, right? He's trying to grow it as big as possible. But I think that he's making strategic mistakes here personally. And and, and you know what? Well, that's just my own opinion. I could be wrong. I'm not going to say I'm right here. But I do think that he, he makes some comments like, oh, you know, ETH2 is three, you know, habitually three to five years away. And it's like, well, no, even back then we knew proto dank sharding was going to be that thing that gave a lot of benefit to um, layer twos and that should come like relatively soon. He also had made a comment about EIP1559 and he thought it lowered gas fees when, you know, anyone who was paying mm. attention knew it didn't do that. So I think that there's just a divide here that, um, you know, I don't know if it's other app developers or just Antonio where they don't seem to understand how Ethereum is going to actually scale, even though he built on a layer two and everything. I, I feel like because he's so focused on DYDX itself as a product, he seems to miss the forest for the trees, so to speak, right? He seems to be focusing right. a lot on DYDX, but losing sight of maybe the bigger picture of kind of like the, the, the scaling stuff. And, you know, I guess it's his kind of like thing to prove everyone wrong, you know, with Cosm uh, with uh, not Cosmos, with DYDX chain. Uh, we'll see how that, how that goes there. But, this isn't the first time we've seen this either. There was Comp Chain from Compound back in December of 2020. That went nowhere. They didn't build it on Cosmos. They mm -hmm. built it using Polkadot Substrate, or at least they attempted to. That went nowhere. And now Cosmos wants to deploy to other EVM chains and, and things like that, like Layer 2s and things like um, some other apps have done. So, you know, we're still early. remains to be seen. But again, going back to what Polinar said, uh, I just don't think the trade-offs are worth it. Like trading off massive security for some sovereignty, for what, right? Like, what do you need that sovereignty for that is worth all that right. security loss is, is my question to people. And I haven't really come up with a good answer yet.
Yeah, and the other the other conversation is, do you have the same on-ramps when you're on your independent blockchain versus a layer two to Ethereum? Because if you're on a layer two to Ethereum, like I can send my assets on Ethereum straight over to DYDX instantly, but I, in order to get to a Cosmos chain, I'd have to take a bridge or go through a centralized exchange. So like there's a conversation about like where the money flows in. But let's go ahead and move on to the next big item, the last big uh, news week, uh, news, news item of the week, Uniswap acquiring Genie. Uniswap Labs tweets out the Uniswap universe is expanding in pursuit to unlock universal ownership and exchange. We're excited to share that we've acquired Genie XYZ, the first NFT marketplace aggregator, expanding our products to include both ERC-20s and NFTs. Anthony, first impressions on, on this news. First impressions was that it was only a little bit surprising to me. Like I think that Uniswap uh, as a kind of like a vibe and a culture has always been about just swapping things in general, doesn't matter if it's tokens or NFTs. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously they had Unisocks, which technically isn't an NFT, but I mean, uh, it kind of, it, like it, it practically is. Uh, so yeah, I, I wasn't really surprised by this, but I also had some thought, thoughts about like just aggregators in general and how I think that so far decentralized exchange aggregators themselves have actually not fared well against the single exchanges. So like, for example, one inch has not really fared well against Uniswap and neither has the other aggregators. Mm -hmm. But I actually think when it comes to NFT aggregators, it's going to be a different story because you know, you can have the same fungible liquidity pool across many different de- uh, DEXs, but a lot of the time you won't have the same kind of like thing between different NFT marketplaces. So for example, there might be an NFT that's listed on OpenSea, but it's not listed on LooksRare, and then you're only on LooksRare, well, then you haven't found it there and you won't you won't be able to buy it. Whereas an NFT aggregator will actually tell you where the NFT is, like what marketplace it's on. Uh, so I, I think that because of that, the NFT aggregator probably has much a much more of a chance of being a thing than the decentralized exchange aggregators have been to date. Uh, and Uniswap obviously has that brand power to make it happen too. Like just insane brand power and, and, and awareness around Uniswap, that's for sure. And in case you missed it, we talked to Hayden on the on the YouTube. Uh, so that show, if you guys want more details on that show, Hayden and I talked. Uh, this is him in the Uniswap offices down in Soho in New York. Uh, pretty cool offices. I've been there. Uh, I was uh, over there about a, a week ago where he actually like gave me the alpha a little bit ahead of time. So I kind of <laughs> knew it was coming. Uh, if you guys have used uh, Genie, uh, you got a USDC airdrop. If you used Genie more than once, you got airdropped USDC, uh, which is an interesting airdrop. I don't think I've ever seen a dollar stablecoin airdrop before uh, but either way that's what that's what happened so uh, airdrop season still on still on but USD airdrops that uh, this time all right uh, that is the big news items but there's so much more news left we got the Arbitrum Odyssey to talk about which is extremely exciting we got some DeFi down bad stories as well as some ether staking stories uh, and of course we got some Elon Musk and Dogecoin things to talk about as well so all that is coming up next right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible and we're back, Bankless Nation, onto the rest of the news, starting with the Arbitrum Odyssey. Arbitrum tweets out the Arbitrum Odyssey will officially start on Tuesday, June 21st. That was this last Tuesday, so this has already started happening. We know all you Arbonauts have been very excited to venture into the unknown with us, and we're very eager to have you on board. Uh, and so starting on June 21st at 1 p.m., 
By using any of the bridges or centralized exchange listed below, here's the, here's the tweet, uh, the, you can, to, to move ETH into Arbitrum, you'll be able to claim the first NFT after the week ends. Users who end up using the bridge that have the most wallets bridging into Arbitrum are in store for a bonus NFT. And so here is a bunch of uh, available bridges. Hot Protocol, Across, Transact, uh, LiFi, LiFi, DGate, Seller Network, Cashflow. Uh, there's so many of these. And so I guess if you get your Ether onto Arbitrum, you get an NFT. Uh, and then that is the first part of the Arbitrum Odyssey. That's the bridge week. And then weeks two through eight is like DAP week is kind of how I've separated this in my head. First, there's bridge week to get all the ether onto Arbitrum. And then there's DAP week, which are weeks two through eight. So there's so many applications on Arbitrum that you're going to use. And then they're going to give you NFTs if you use them. Uh, so it's basically just a big treasure hunt for NFTs over the Arbitrum Odyssey. Anthony, any comments on this? I think it's an interesting way to grow their ecosystem without using a token. That's what I really like mm -hmm. about this is obviously Arbitrum does not have a token yet, uh, may or may not in the future, but uh, because they don't have a token yet, they're using this as a way to bootstrap uh, the, the growth. And I think also they are aware of the fact that people are going to be using this as a way to potentially farm a future, future airdrop, right? Which obviously has factored into this, but I mean, I don't think that's, that's kind of like a, a big deal there. Uh, I've already seen some really nice metrics that people are kind of like bridging in and they're kind of using um, kind of Arbitrum there and they're kind of like obviously using, I think, Hot Protocol, I think. Yeah, that, that was that's the, the tweet that I saw. So most people seem to be using Hot Protocol there. And there's actually a lot of bridges now. Like that graphic that you just showed, there's so many bridges. <laughs> there's too mm -hmm. many at this point, I think. But uh, <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I, I don't think most of them are gonna like survive long-term. Just, just it, it, there's too many, right? But, uh, but it's cool to see that they're all being supported at least by Arbitrum, people can use them they can kind of like get get value out of them. Uh, but yeah, I just, as I said, I think it's just, it's cool that Arbitrum is bootstrapping uh, kind of growth, new users without using a token because I've always for like a long time now said that I want to see more kind of like incentive programs that don't involve a token because we all know mm -hmm. how liquidity mining programs end. They don't end right. very well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for the podcast listeners, this tweet that we're looking at here says, over 4,000 users have bridged to Arbitrum on the first day of the Odyssey campaign. Over 2,800 alone used Hot Protocol. Amazing to see. Uh, and then the chart here is just like a big candle, uh, at, uh, which is illustrating daily new users bridging into Arbitrum. It looks like it's hovering around like, you know, 50 to 200 on like an average day. And then like this big red candle is at over 4,000 people in one day and about 2,000 people people the next day. Uh, and so people like the tokens, people like the NFTs. Uh, and so William Peaster in the uh, Bankless newsletter put a, an article out called The Arbitrum Odyssey Begins, breaking down the Arbitrum Odyssey uh, and getting you all that information you need. So if you're trying to do a deeper dive into what you should be doing if you want to embark upon the Arbitrum Odyssey, you can check out that newsletter uh, for all the details down there. All right, moving into the DeFi down bad section. This is a, a governance proposal on this thing called Solend. Uh, and this is, this is some spicy drama. Uh, the, the title of this governance proposal is Mitigate Risk from Whale. Uh, and basically the TLDR of this proposal is that there is somebody using Solend on Solana. And Solend is basically like the Aave or the compound version, but on Solana, Solend, like lend your money. Uh, and there's somebody, there's a big whale that put all of his Sol tokens into 
Soul Land and borrowed a bunch of stables from it and is very, very close to getting liquidated. I think the liquidation price is something like $22. The sole price is back up to like something like $35, but it did get down to like $28. And the problem here was that there were so many Solana tokens in this position and there was not enough sufficient liquidity in the Solana decentralized exchanges to liquidate this for, for what it was worth. So like the sole token in Solana's DeFi ecosystem was literally going to go to zero because there wasn't enough liquidity there. Uh, and so there was a governance proposal to uh, take the money, take the, the position from this whale and like uh, take it over, liquidate a part of it, and then just uh, in order to prevent this cascading liquidation. Uh, Anthony, what are your takes here? Yeah, I mean, this is like the cardinal sin, right, of uh, of kind of like DeFi. If you do this, you just are not DeFi, like at all. Like, I mean, there are obviously admin keys for a lot of DeFi protocols and multi-sigs and things like that, but I'm not aware of any in the Ethereum ecosystem that have done something like this, even proposed mm -hmm. something like this, of taking over an account because uh, they want to kind of like do it for the good of the protocol or something like that, right? So I, I think that it was insane. And then they had another vote. I don't know if we're going to talk about that, but like they had another vote to like invalidate this first vote, which was, I mean, in very much in favor of yes. You can see a 97.5% yes. Mm -hmm. um, and like, which was, I think a lot of the, a lot of the voting was the team, like an investors, because of course they're just going to vote with, with, with them. But uh, yeah, it was not, <clears throat> it was not good. That's for sure. <laughs> Okay, so the, this initial vote to take over the, uh, the position of this whale passed, but then there was another vote that said like, wait, wait, no, just kidding, we don't want that? Well, yeah, because the sole price went back up, right? And they're like, well, uh, the sole price is up, but it's no longer a risk anymore, so let's do another vote to cancel the first vote. And I was like, this is just clown world now. Like, this isn't even <laughs> funny anymore. Like, it's just stupid. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's going to load for you there. But yeah, there was another vote, um, I think. Like, uh, this is the end, but mind you, this is the first uh, vote on the governance forum. <laughs> like, <laughs> they had no other ones, they just had this one. Oh man, it's just, it's Ugh. funny. It really is. Yeah, well, I, I think there, there's a. I would imagine that the Soul Lend token doesn't have a lot of distribution because of how uh, how young the the application is, uh, and so the, there's the critique going around that this is basically just like the operators of the protocol voting to take over the margin position of this of this large whale who just didn't do anything. Um, mm -hmm. So I hope this I, both the Soul Lend community, the Soul Lend operators, and this whale is definitely hoping that we don't go down like another twenty thirty percent because then we will start to be liquidating well, the all. The, the Solana tokens. Yeah, I mean, there is that, but there's, the thing with the whale is that, like, I don't think the whale even cares to pay this back because how are they going to liquidate that much soul? They've already got over a hundred million dollars of stable coins that they can just keep, right? Like, mm -hmm. who cares about the soul? Like, they, they, there is obviously a sixty million dollar difference here, but if they can't sell the soul anyway because there's too right. much of it, like, they're just right. going to take that money and, and run, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's a lot more liquidity for U.S. dollars than there is Solana tokens. That that is for sure. Um, the, here's a tweet from Fat Man Terra. This is pretty wild. The, Sol the Sol N team wants to take over the whale's accounts and execute the liquidation themselves. The whale's position is so degenerate that if Sol drops too low, it will cause cascading liquidations, basically recapping what we just said. Uh, and then at the end of this tweet thread, he said, the Sol N team just confirmed to me that when this change is implemented, the whale will instantly be partially liquidated down to a safer ratio. Sol price is 32, but his current liquidation price is only 22. On the fence about the main proposal, but I do not agree with that part. Uh, so some, some interesting decisions going around when communities get stressed. And speaking of communities get, that getting stressed, 
Bancor has released a, a market conditions update uh, in June 19, 2022, which is when this was po posted. And they said, due to hostile market conditions, Bancor's impermanent loss protection is temporarily paused. IL protection will be reactivated on the protocol as the market stabilizes. This is a temporary measure to protect the protocol and its users. Uh, and so what this really means is Bancor has this interesting mechanism to mitigate from IL uh, permanent loss protection. And it basically, if you just want to supply Ether into Bancor's AMM, Bancor is like a, very much like Uniswap, it's an AMM, but it's got some extra features uh, and, and involved with his token and some other things. And so you can do single-sided liquidity providing, so you can provide liquidity for the Ether BNT pair, but if you don't want to provide liquidity for both, you can just do it for BNT, and the Bancor pro protocol will mint the extra BNT to provide that, that balanced liquidity. And that this is a way for uh, people to not have to deal with impermanent loss because they just inflate BNT in order to mitigate from impermanent loss, which is attractive for LPs, but also it's, it's, a, it's a sacrificing value capture in the BNT token by making it inflationary as a function of impermanent loss. Uh, and so Hazu had this really spicy take that says, Bancor's shell of impermanent loss hiding is collapsing. They print new BNT to compensate underwater liquidity providers, and they call it impermanent loss protection. The cost is transferred to BNT holders via inflation, which causes further impermanent loss to all other BNT pairs and leads to further inflation, a death spiral. You can see it clearly in the performance of these DEX tokens. Uni's down 20%, Sushi's down 20%, but BNT is down 61%. And then he continues saying, now Bancor is Pulling the plug to stop the bleeding didn't even take three weeks for my prediction to play out. Uh, more reading, and he he tags a Kobe tweet, and Kobe says. The need to pause impermanent loss protection is a result of how we designed and built impermanent loss protection. Kobe always being a little bit facetious here. Anthony, what are your takes here? I've been really harsh on Bancor on my own show, over, like over this, mm -hmm. and I've just not been a fan of Bancor since basically day one. I remember their ICO. I participated in their ICO back in 2017, um, and the, back then they actually in their ICO for those who maybe who weren't around, they changed the rules of the ICO mid mid sale where they were supposed mm -hmm. to be capped, and then they changed it to kind of like be uncapped because there was so much demand, and they got all this extra money. And ever since then, I've just like not liked them. And then even on the even on their technology side they didn't really seem to do anything innovative right they have the, obviously the amm and everything like that but this impermanent loss protection thing that they were doing i looked at it and i'm like what how does this make any sense it's literally just inflating the token to uh and and the um the cost is borne by token holders so as far as I'm aware, there's no kind of like solution to impermanent loss, like in terms of like everyone winning, someone's always losing. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's always gonna be someone losing if you're trying to protect against impermanent loss. So I think from that perspective, I, uh, I think what Bancor did here is another cardinal scene where they paused it. They broke their, their social contract with their community uh, to save their, their own kind of like token value. But, you know, you you're bring, up, bring up the chart here. It's already down 95% from its all-time high. So it's, it's not much left to save. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it's actually interesting. You can see this dynamic play out when you compare the price to the market cap of, of Bancor because since the token supply is flexible, the market cap and the 
price charts look very, very different. So like the market cap chart actually has gone up. Like the system has captured value. It's lost a lot of it in the last like, you know, week or so. <laughs> um, but like the, the price seems to have, you know, been down over, over the, the course of, of time since like uh, July of 2017 when this token came into existence. But the market cap has actually gone up a decent amount because the system captures value, but the token is just sacrifice in order for the system to ca capture value. Uh, and so uh, with the uh, removal of the impermanent loss thing, what happens is that if you as an LP would have suffered impermanent loss, but then you withdrew your assets, uh, BNT would just be minted and sold into the market so that you could uh, be protected from, I from impermanent loss. But since so many bank or liquidity providers would have uh, felt impermanent loss because of how down bad the BNT price is, it would cause a hyperinflation event, not unlike the one that we saw with Terra Luna, but just with a different mechanism. Uh, and so like, you know, impermanent loss protection, good in times of market, uh, when markets don't go uh, moving in one significant direction. Like if, if it stays within a particular band, that's kind of where the mechanism works. But as soon as you fi find any long tail risk and like down 90% uh, 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 market conditions, that's when the whole system breaks. Um, so moving, moving on from that, DeFi down bad. Here's some, some more optimistic side of uh, the, the, the crypto world. Going into Ethereum staking, this is a, the Nethermind saying, with the Sepolia beacon chain set to be launched today, we can confirm the readiness of our Sepolia nodes. Today will mark another big step towards the merge with the Panda emoji. Anthony, I know you pay attention to this side of Ethereum much more than the, the average person, much more than me and Ryan. Can you give us the, the TLDR of what's going on here? Yeah, so the, the Sepolia public testnet needed a beacon chain uh, because if it's going to run through the merge transition, it already has a you know execution kind of like layer chain. It needed a consensus layer to merge with. So they launched a new beacon chain for Sepolia, which will be merged into the existing Sepolia network. Uh, and that will happen. Look, there's been some dates thrown around. It's either going to be late this month, like really late this month or early next month. Uh, and then once that happens, that'll be the second public testnet that go goes through the merge transition. And then we have one left after that, and that's Gawley. So, but yeah, the, the beacon chain needed to be launched for Sepolia because there just wasn't one. So we couldn't merge into anything unless we launched a, a new beacon chain. But this is mm -hmm. testnet. This is not mainnet, nothing to do with mainnet. It's just right. all testnet still right now. Yeah, but there's only so many test nets left before the main net day eventually comes. Continuing on the theme of e-staking, Lido has announced an expansion of the Lido node operator set. So I previously believed that Lido had about 14 validators, uh, independent validators from around the ecosystem, and they are adding in a bunch more chain safe, uh, attestant, uh, a few others, never mind Prismatic Labs, all becoming validators in the Lido network. Uh, but also at the same time, while Lido does move forward in adding more and more validators to their network, we have Swell Network, uh, an alternative, newer, uh, staking as a service uh, application protocol, uh, launched a testnet. Uh, so things are moving in the world of staking as a service. Uh, the Swell Network DAO it says they are pleased to publicly announce the launch of Swell V2 testnet on the Gorley Network, a critical milestone in the development of Swell's next generation ETH liquid staking design. Uh, and so if you are interested in that world of, of staking and want to be part of the Swell Network's uh, testnet, there's a call to action to join that, uh, that testnet. And there's a link in the show notes to get started. Anthony, any comments on these two bits of news? 
Yeah, I think staking, uh, especially LSDs or liquid staking um, uh, tokens and, and providers have been uh, the talk of the town over the last few months, especially because Lido's dominance got so high, you know, over 30% mm -hmm. on, the, on the network. And I think with this addition of new validators, or uh, they're basically going from, I think, 21 to 28 or 29 uh, validator nodes, which is pretty cool to see. And some of these include, you know, obviously Ethereum core teams as well, which has led to a bit of controversy. People saying, you know, we shouldn't be throwing so much support behind Lido because they're already a big part mm -hmm. of the network and things like that. I mean, I, I you know I see all the sides to it, but I've I've long been a believer that there's just just two, there's really only two things that are going to fix the um I guess like distribution of stake and is going to make the stake be more distributed. Uh, it's more competition, which you just mentioned, Swell Network entering the the fray there with their testnet going to be on mainnet hopefully soon. Um, and there's others out there like Rocket Pool and things like that. Uh, and also waiting until withdrawals are enabled on the Beacon Chain for people to actually be able to withdraw because right now all you can do to exit your Lido position is sell your STETH on the open market, which is actually at a discount right now. You can't actually redeem your STETH for ETH from the beacon chain because withdrawals aren't enabled. So Lido's position can only go up only unless people stake with another provider and their share of the network goes down. But all of the ETH that went through Lido is still going to be locked through Lido until the um, beacon chain withdrawals are enabled. So those are the two main things I'm, I look out for. And I'm always for kind of like more competition coming online for these staking providers. And there's going to be so many of them. The, 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 um, the opportunity is so big to be a, a kind of like staking provider as well. So so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that kind of like, um, kind of like continue on here. Uh, if you want to, you can go to CoinGecko and, and see it quickly if it's not working on, on Curve. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so it's still at a 5% yeah, discount there. <clears throat> Yeah, damn, it, it was uh, it was uh, up to 7% a few days ago. And I was thinking about locking it in, but now it's down to 5%. Um, price it's basically a free so year of staking yield when you think about it, right? Because if you're right. willing of taking that little bit of risk on to buy STETH now and just wait till beacon chain withdrawals are enabled, you get like a free year's worth of staking yield that you can just redeem once uh, the withdrawals are enabled. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get uh, one ETH back for 0 0.95 STETH, right, for example, which is, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. But again, there is some additional risk there, right? Some additional assumptions right. but i was gonna and buy your capital is gonna be locked up for a while so you gotta be ready for that all right okay moving on we're gonna close these tabs on to some nft news crypto's web3 expert leaves auction house to run cryptopunks for yuga labs noah davis a key factor in the storied auction house's embrace of crypto and was involved in beeple's 69 million sale in march of 2021 has left christie's and joined uh, yuga labs uh, to lead in the cryptopunk effort which is a unique thing to do of course because cryptopunks a unique place in the in the world of nfts on ethereum being like kind of the the, the first og nfts on ethereum so noah tweets out i'm I'm humbled and honored to announce I'll be leaving my current post in July to steward CryptoPunks as brand lead under the umbrella of Yuga Labs. Before I say anything else, it's important to confirm what we won't be doing. Simply put, I will not F with the punks, uh, which is a very important part of like the, the CryptoPunk ethos. Uh, as a CryptoPunk owner, I align with this. Uh, don't mess with the punks. Leave them alone. Uh, they don't need a roadmap. Uh, they don't need any sort of like, uh, the, the, the punks kind of think the apes are kind of cringe. I would agree with that. Uh, and so Noah just wants to put out this tweet thread saying that he will leave the, the brand of the punks where it is. And so he says, uh, what does this mean? It will be no punks on lunchboxes or cringe TV or shitty movies. It means no arbitrary rush utility through thoughtless airdrops. It means if you love your punks because of what they are, 
large as punks, then you and I see eye to eye. The first thing I will do is this. If you are a punk holder and you will care about the legacy future of the brand, I want to talk one-on-one. -on -one. I will be at the punks brunch during NFT NYC that happened last Tuesday, and we'll begin scheduling with sit-downs immediately. Wherever punks go, the community will help guide us. Anthony, any thoughts on this? <laughs> not too many thoughts like I'm not an NFT guy but I thought it was funny that yeah. there was insider trading that happened before this was announced yeah right about like 24 hours or so before this was announced yeah you can see yeah the the crypto punk floor just absolutely went bananas and everyone was wondering why and then right. we saw why and it's just funny mm -hmm. how like obvious it was right and people were trying to say no it's not because of that it's because punks are back baby and it's like well no it's because no. of the, this announcement <laughs> but this announcement could mean that punks are back so to speak and, and punks will actually mm -hmm. um you know uh, be given the love they deserve so to speak that they've because they've been neglected for a while here so i guess right whatever the reason was, it's just still funny to see that this was a pretty big move as well. This went from like, what, 30 ETH to 60 ETH or something? I can I can see on the chart there. Yeah, I think the, the low was like 48 or 45 ETH. I wasn't, oh, wasn't okay. checking the absolute low. Um, but yeah, like punks did have their all time high volumes in week last week. Uh, and uh, every, like, and it, again, it happened so much volume without any explanation. Uh, and then we realized that somebody got the leak and, and then it started just trading. Um, also in the NFT world, Doodles announces that Pharrell is coming on as the chief brand officer, uh, along with a fundraise led by Alexis Ohanian. So if you're a Doodle holder, uh, congratulations, I guess. Pharrell is now your chief brand officer. Uh, and uh, Alexis Ohanian, also a part of the, the Doodles ecosystem. Uh, and then, of course, what else do we have in the NFT world? Uh, yeah, Time Magazine partnering with Sandbox to build a, the Times Square version of itself in the metaverse. Uh, and this will be used as a hub for all of the time pieces. And so Time did that NFT sale forever ago, um, forever, forever in crypto, it was like six months <laughs> ago. Uh, and they have actually really leaned into a good, useful, uh, an honest application of NFTs, at least in my opinion. Uh, and so now they are partnering with Sandbox to produce a virtual version of Times Square where you can see some of the time pieces, this is what they call themselves, their NFTs, time pieces, in a virtual version of Times Square. So that is pretty cool. Anthony, any comments on that before we go on? Um, just on the Doodles thing, they also announced Doodles 2, I think, uh, and they hinted oh, really? at like going off of Ethereum or something and going to, yeah, there you go, oh, yeah, and going to another chain. But I don't know what chain they're going to go to. I don't know if it's going to be a layer two or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, this is why I have like a love-hate relationship with, with NFTs. Like, they say, oh, they're doing doodles too. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I I haven't been following this that closely, but like a lot of this stuff always looks like just a money grab to me. And maybe I'm completely wrong. As I said, I don't follow this very closely. You, you're you actually way more involved with NFTs than I am, but uh, we'll mm. have to see how that shakes out. We'll have to see what doodles two actually is. Is it just like a new platform that people can migrate their doodles to? It's, it's like a layer two or something like that. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've got like big names on board now. Pharrell Williams, obviously, and Alexis. Uh, Alexis is an investor. They're obviously trying to build a world and trying to build a metaverse around doodles rather than just be a PFP project, which I which I fuck with. Honestly, I like that. Like, that's cool. Like, mm -hmm. and you know what? I would I wish that I bought like some of those uh, coffee cup doodles early on because I love the look of them. I'm, I'm obviously a coffee maximalist for those who know me. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> NFTs, as I said, love hate relationship with them. And you and I get into debates about them quite often, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they can be more than just what we've seen over the last you know year or so of just constant scam PFP things coming out and just like extracting money. I want to see metaverses. I want to see cool shit built. Right. I want to see actual products and, and services built around them. That's just my kind of like take on NFTs, maybe more generally. 
It does seem to be the new meta for NFTs that if you aren't creating a metaverse, then your NFTs like not playing the game. Like every single NFT needs its own metaverse. Uh, this is where like ApeCoin uh, DAO started talking about Ape Chain. Uh, having an own independent blockchain and having your own independent metaverse really goes hand in hand. Uh, and I totally see a world where every single NFT, PFP profile picture or whatever uh, that wants to really invest in itself creates its own layer two or its own blockchain, uh, be it uh, if I guess if the, they're doing their own chain, then the theme of the week is like abandoning Ethereum. Uh, <laughs> we also know how that turns out uh, in, in the long term. Anyways, moving on into regulation and TradFi stuff. Tesla CEO Elon Musk accused of Dogecoin Ponzi scheme in new class action lawsuit. Uh, Elon Musk is facing a class action lawsuit over his Dogecoin hype fest. The, the complainant alleges Musk's tweets and public messaging drove a significant price spike in Doge and encouraged people to invest. Those people ultimately feel the fallout when Doge price took a nosedive. Uh, Anthony, any comments on this? I mean, I'm honestly just sick of Elon Musk and he's pumping of Doge. Like, I don't think that he's responsible for what people do. Like, if people want to buy Doge because he tweets about it, that's on them. But I'm just like always of the same opinion that I've been of for a while that he could be using his platform to educate people about crypto and, and more generally instead of just funneling them into some retail slaughterhouse because a Dogecoin is not a scam right it was not started as a scam or anything like that it's actually one of the, the fairest launched coins in crypto to be, to be fair but the thing is is that like it's treated and abused as a retail slaughterhouse because traders just kind of like trade it whenever they know that retail's here and they can make some money off of it. It has no kind of like fundamental value at the end of the day backing it up. And no one really cares to hold Dogecoin for the long term or anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's just my overall opinion on it. And I really wish Musk would just use his platform for better crypto things. <laughs> Yeah, he does seem to be uh, chaotic neutral uh, on Twitter at this point. Uh, and sometimes that chaos leads into the negative territory, especially when it comes to financial assets. Ryan Sean Adams, the AI robot that's not here today, <laughs> says, sorry, dude, Elon Musk wasn't responsible for you buying fake internet money based on a dog meme. You did that to yourself. Uh, Got to take responsibility when you buy some assets. Uh, okay, all right, moving on into the world of jobs. There are always jobs, there's always hiring going on in the world of crypto. So this is the Bankless Jobs Board. You can go and uh, go off the shelf and pick a job off the shelf here at bankless.palette.com slash jobs. We're going to read some of these out. We got a CTO job at Alliance Dow. Got a software engineer, a full stack software engineer, also at Alliance Dow. Senior software engineer and executive assistant, all at Alliance Dow. A solidity engineer at Otter Space. A front end engineer at Abstract Ventures. A founder. You can become a founder. Do you know you can become a founder on a jobs board? Who knew? <laughs> a founder and CEO of a Web3 community analytics platform. Boolean Labs, a Twitter specialist at Bankless. If you can write good tweet threads, let me know. Uh, also a research engineer at Blockchain Capital, a tech lead at Swell Network, that's that staking as a service, uh, DAO that we talked about earlier, and uh, many, many, many more. We got Argent, we got Tally, we got DeFi Yield, we got a hiring coordinator at Ethereum Foundation. There are so many jobs. Uh, so go to the link in the show notes, get a job, bankless.pallet.com slash jobs. Also, if you think that you are highly talented and you don't see a job right for you, you can also post your uh, resume, post your, your profile to the bankless.pallet.com talent board, and you can have the jobs come to you. So get a job in crypto. Uh, that's why we're going to buy the dip with all the money that we're going to get from our new crypto jobs. Isn't that right, Anthony? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm not going to get a crypto job, but I think everyone should. I already have a crypto job, right? I do I do daily way. But I think that if 
Look, my, my honest um, uh, kind of like take on just jobs in crypto in general is that getting them in a bear market is better than getting them in a bull market. I think in the bear market, mm -hmm. there are a lot more honest teams. There's a lot more sustainability and a lot more things that are just interesting. And there's a lot less crazy. So you can actually take your time as well. But yeah, if you're listening to the weekly roll up every week and you love crypto and you're not working in crypto yet, well, now's the perfect time to get involved in my opinion. Yeah, music to my ears, man. All right, quick, uh, quickly into the world of releases and raises. Immutable X uh, and, and the Immutable ecosystem announces a $500 million fund to accelerate the adoption of Web3 games and projects. Uh, and so they aren't just like spraying and praying. There are these, uh, you have to apply for some of this money. Uh, they have a split between ventures and grants. Uh, take, and they, they say they've taken insights from Gauzen Chains, Guild and Guardian, and hiring some of the best people from leading studios, Riot Games. I actually met somebody who uh, works at Immutable at Riot Games here in NFT NYC. And so they are taking their, the knowledge that they have from that ecosystem to help spin out a grants program using this $500 million and there's also venture arms as well. Uh, so they are putting money into the people that are investing in the world of gaming. Uh, and th that is that details there. Tether launching a British pound peg stable coin. Uh, so if you use the British pound, you have a stable coin that you can use now. Uh, I don't expect too many people to be using that, but some do, some do. Uh, and then of course, uh, actually I'll pause there, Anthony, and get your takes on these two, these two things. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I was talking to you about this recently and I mentioned that on my show as well. If anyone's going to prove me wrong about crypto gaming, it's going to be immutable. Like I am a yeah. bear on crypto gaming thus far, just because what we've seen so far has not really appealed to me, especially as an actual gamer who gamed for most of his life before he found Ethereum. That's basically mm -hmm. what I did with all my time. And now it's just Ethereum. But I think a lot of the crypto games we've seen are really just Ponzi's with a code of gaming on them. Right. So if anyone's going to prove me wrong and build better things, it's going to be immutable. And this is a massive fund. This is a half a billion dollar fund going towards this. And this is on top of the other funds or ready as well like polygon has huge right. funds for gaming too there's a few other ecosystems that are doing it like when we when i kind of look at this i'm like okay well something is going to come out of this something really cool is going to come out of this they're going to onboard the right people they're going to build really cool things so i'm just like super pumped to see what they come up with and if they can prove me wrong here like uh, i'm bullish on immutable i'm bullish on their ability to to prove me wrong that's for sure yeah 100 percent. they really make this uh process Plainfully easy on their on their website, mutable.com slash fund. Submit an application. It'll get reviewed by a panel. Uh, successful applications will be contacted, and then you will be funneled either into the grant or the venture arm, depending on uh, how that ends up. Uh, here's something that's interesting. Ex-Sushi CTO Joseph DeLong raises $8 million for an NFT lending platform named uh, Astraria, Astraria, uh, Astaria, uh, and I then think. Astaria. Thank you. <laughs> the platform that subtitles reads, led by CEO Justin Bram and DeFi veteran Joseph DeLong, aims to provide instant liquidity for your JPEGs and should be available to the public by September. Uh, that's pretty cool, uh, Anthony. What are, your, what are your thoughts on here? Well, my thoughts are that I'm an investor. I participated in this round. So oh. I just want to get that out of the way. <laughs> um, but I think that it's really cool. Justin Bram, for those who don't know, has his own YouTube channel where he does a lot of different kind of like DeFi guides and things like that. And he's really, really passionate about uh, kind of like everything Ethereum, everything crypto. So I really love his energy um, and, 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 and I consider him a friend. And same with Joseph DeLong. You know, obviously he had a, a stint at um, Sushi. Before that, he was doing a bunch of Ethereum core developer stuff and things like that. So I saw them teaming up and I was like, like, you know what? I think this is a cool idea. I think these guys are, are going are to pull it off. They're smart enough. They're, they're passionate enough. And that's kind of like why I back them here. But I, I think these NFT lending platforms, there's a few of them now. I do yeah. think that they're going to be a big thing because NFTs are going to be a big thing or already are a big thing. And, you know, you don't want to have to kind of like 
not be able to, uh, I guess, get liquidity on your NFTs and be stuck with it? Like, uh, how many people want to be able to put their NFTs as collateral and borrow against them? There's probably heaps that want to be able to leverage trade NFTs or something. I can imagine that happening <laughs> and, and the craziness around that. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to see where they, where they go with this. That's for sure. Yeah, totally, totally. The uh, the world of NFT liquidity is just in the first hour of a very long, long uh, time frame of, of uh, getting more liquidity infrastructure. I mean, we talked about Uniswap acquiring, acquiring Genie, an NFT marketplace aggregator. There's like liquidity uh, platforms like, like this NFT lending platform coming about. There's just overall so much financialization left in the world of NFTs. The last, last raise of the week, Magic Eden raises $130 million, hitting the unicorn status at $1.6 billion valuation, which is an NFT marketplace, which it actually just launched nine months ago. Raised $130 million in a Series B led by Electric Capital and Greylock Partners, bringing, a, like I said, its valuation to $1.6 billion. Anthony, any comments on this before we go to the next part of the show? Yeah, I mean, Magic Eden, from my understanding, is basically the OpenSea of Solana uh, and this, and kind mm -hmm. of like just basically trying to do what OpenSea does on Ethereum and, and Polygon, but on, on Solana instead. And yeah, they, they only launched a short while ago and they've had some some kind of uh, some impressive growth there, uh, which is cool to see. And actually, one of their founders is, was the previous uh, COO, I believe, at DYDX, uh, funny enough. Mm. Uh, uh, his name's Joshin. Um, he's, a, he's a friend of mine. But yeah, I, I think that... Um, it's it's cool to see like how many NFT marketplaces there are because it's going to lead to a lot of competition. I didn't like I don't like that OpenSea had a monopoly for so long because we saw all the kind of mm -hmm. I guess negative externalities of that. Now they have a lot of competition, not just on Ethereum but on other chains as well. So I, I think OpenSea I think OpenSea did announce that they were going to go to Solana, but it's not like they're going to be able to go to Solana and automatically be the the big game in town, right? right. Like they're going to have to compete with Magic Eden now, and competition is just good for everyone at the end of the day. So um, cool to see this, and you know maybe Magic Eden comes to ethereum and it's like well let's see what we do on ethereum let's see what we how we can compete here so you know we'll, we'll see how it plays out but yeah huge huge i guess raise and huge valuation yeah that's for sure yeah, we got competition between layer twos, between Arbitrum and Optimism. We got competition between NFT aggregators uh, and NFT exchanges. We got competition with staking as a service networks coming online. Uh, the competition in, in DeFi building, crypto building right now is at all time highs. And of course, like you said, it's always ultimately good for the consumer. All right, fam, coming up next, we got the takes of the week. We got the questions from the nation. And then I'm going to ask Anthony what he's bullish about. And then that will conclude this, this show with uh, substitute teacher Anthony Susano. We're going to get to all of those things and more right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. All right, Bankless Nation, let's get into the questions of the week. We just got one question coming from Web the Third. Web the Third says, how much harder is it to get a job in crypto now if layoffs have flooded the Web3 job market with talent? I'm mid-career change from non-technical to technical, almost done with a computer science master's and was about to start the job hunt, but my experience still seems too low, especially with limited positions. Anthony, any thoughts or perspectives that you could give Web3 about getting a job in crypto now that a bunch of layoffs are happening from some of the bigger companies in the space? Yeah, look, I think that is definitely going to play into it. There's definitely going to be a lot of like people now, thousands of more people to compete with than there was uh, before, maybe even tens of thousands more than there was before just because of these layoffs. And there may be a slowdown of hiring due to just the bear market generally and teams not having as much runway as they thought they would be able to and not raising what they thought they would be able to. So that's just definitely going to play into it. But I think it, that if you're kind of like doing your CS masters, obviously complete that, finish that up. Uh, and I think, that 
look, you're not going to be at the kind of like skill level of someone who'd already completed it, already kind of like works one of these companies and has already got a bit of experience under their belt. But that doesn't really necessarily mean anything. Like there's plenty of junior positions still out there. There's plenty of uh, entry level positions for you to kind of apply for and get. And I think what really matters for a lot of teams within crypto is that you're a crypto native. Um, and I think crypto projects and teams would like to hire people from the ecosystem rather than hiring them from the Web2 world directly because mm -hmm. crypto culture is not something you can teach it's something that you have to just go on and learn yourself and go on your own journey for so I, I from my experience teams really do love those crypto natives so if you're a crypto native already i mean you're listening you're, pro you're probably listening to the roll-up right you're listening to me answer your question right now yeah. then you're already ahead of the, the pack i think or ahead of a lot of people that would be coming into this ecosystem so i guess head up don't don't be discouraged uh you know and, and i i think you'll be able to find something that's for sure yeah, and I will say the companies that are doing the big layoffs are the ones that scaled really, really aggressively. And one, one of my critiques of Coinbase, I'd say, is that they scaled with, they scaled so fast, so quickly that there literally wasn't enough Web3 people to hire. Uh, so they had to hire non-crypto people, non-crypto natives, who kind of like, you know, so you can't force people to care about crypto people choose to care about crypto and that's what makes them a crypto native. And so Coinbase hired a bunch of like, you know, normies, right? Like Web2 people, TradFi people. Uh, and those people aren't necessarily like beholden to the crypto industry in the same way that crypto natives are. Uh, and so when Coinbase lays off a bunch of people, you know, some certainly are going to stick in, inside the crypto ecosystem. But I would also definitely say that some are just going to look elsewhere and be like, you know, crypto's, just, I don't want any more crypto, no more crypto for me. Uh, so I think <laughs> like in the companies that scaled that that fast, that aggressively uh, are probably more composed of a bunch of non crypto natives than they are crypto natives. So I wouldn't say that like if there's if you see like, these big companies laying a bunch of people off that therefore all these people are coming into the Web3 job market. I think the Web3 job market is really owned and operated by crypto natives and being a crypto native is a huge mark on your resume if you can if you can uh, good mark not bad mark uh, if you can prove your crypto nativity uh, then that that is just like uh, if you can speak DeFi, if you can speak the language, if you speak the lingo, if you stay up to date with things, that can be a huge uh, value add to who you are as an applicant. Uh, and so, learning to be crypto native and being crypto native uh, is going to like make you be uh, highly competitive versus other applicants who don't have the, those properties. Mm -hmm. All right, that's our one question of the week. So into the takes of the week as well. We got some some spicy takes. This is from uh, Smoosh Axie. Soulbound NFTs are like digital tattoos. Once minted, they're permanently a part of your wallet. People viewing your wallet will always know this cultural identifier is or was important to your digital identity. Minting may require levels of premeditation similar to getting a tattoo. Uh, and this is, of course, coming on the backs of these soulbound NFTs, decentralized identifiers, verifiable credentials conversations that has been sweeping crypto Twitter lately. Anthony, any takes on this take? Well, I mean, it depends on how the Soulbound NFT is is constructed, right? There could be an escape hatch where you could just kind of like mm -hmm. be able to send it to the burn address, for example. Like you can't send it to anyone else, but you can send it to the burn address where it just mm -hmm. goes into the void and no one has access to it. So in that respect, I mean, it probably, the analogy still fits. I guess probably sending it to the burn address would be like getting the tattoo removed by like lasers or something like that, yeah, right? right? So I think the analogy works if you uh, works even if you think too hard about it, like what I tend to do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing too hard about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got this reply up here. You want to read that out? 
Yeah, the, there's a reply here. It says, great analogy if you completely ignore that it's possible to have a tattoo removed and that someone could just sell their wallet in which your tattoo will be the same thing as selling an arm or a leg. <laughs> Actually, it's a little bit more reasonable to sell a wallet. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. Like, the wallet, basically, you'd have to kind of make sure it has nothing in it and has access to nothing else. And mm. the thing is, why would anyone else want that wallet when right. you have access to it as well, right? Yeah, they you wouldn't, wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to use it for anything else. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have any assurances that the person that is selling the wallet might actually just keep the private keys. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anyways, a bunch of uh, bunch of things to explore in the world of uh, uh, soulbound NFTs and decentralized identifiers. Anna Rose, who's the podcast of uh, the podcast host of Zero Knowledge, when I one a podcast I think is one of the best podcasts in crypto, and I know a thing or two about podcasts in crypto. Anna Rose <laughs> tweets out DeFi Legos versus CFI Dominoes. Anthony, what, is, what do you think she means by this? Well, you know, DeFi building, uh, building strong, building sustainably, building up uh, like Legos do, and CFI dominoes falling like dominoes do, right? They they do. There's a lot of contagion between kind of like the CFI uh, applications and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. But again, this is another analogy that if you think too deeply about it, it maybe breaks apart a little bit because <laughs> people thought that Terra was DeFi and like the UST collapsing brought down everything on Terra. So it's more, there was like a domino effect there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the, the, it's, it's a kind of like funny analogy when you think about it. <clears throat> All right, last take of the week. Vance Spencer coming in with the spiciest take of them all. Coinbase is a great company, but needs to stop dicking around with this trash. If you spent five minutes on crypto Twitter, you know Pond, the token Pond, isn't legit. Stop the retail meat grinder. Ship staking, ship basic features like USD to USDC on Prime. Improve custody, get better analytics, launch futures. And Vance is retweeting a tweet from Coinbase Exchange saying that our Pond USDT trading pair will now enter limit-only mode on Coinbase Exchange, Coinbase Pro. Uh, uh, basically, He's critiquing Coinbase's uh, listing of all of these weird tokens that no one seems to use, that no one seems to understand why they are listing. Anthony, any takes here? Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that Coinbase is both listing uh, for trade and also listing as part of their kind of like custody solution. These absolute trash tokens that it, some of them aren't even on CoinGecko, which is just so bizarre. It might, they must just go down the list on CoinMarketCap and go to like the shittiest tokens and be mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this one seems good. Let's add this one. <laughs> and it's for anyone who's been following Coinbase for a little while now and some of their decisions, it's just puzzling, right? They should be focusing on so many other things, but it seems that they're focusing on just this absolute trash it's just really weird yeah here's an interesting take uh the uh, seb uh from zapper i believe yeah says i think it's a twofold issue drawing the line on which tokens to list and which tokens not to list is either an everything or nothing line so like either list everything or only do like the the most high quality fun fact once upon a time coinbase was only bitcoin ether and litecoin for a very long time and then he also yeah. follows up saying uniswap is also an existential threat implying well if you can get liquidity on uniswap coinbase needs to list absolutely everything in order to be competitive so i think that's a fair take it's a fair take. I do think Uniswap's going to kill off most of centralized exchange. Well, not just Uniswap, but decentralized exchanges are going to kill off most centralized exchange activity anyway over the long run, except maybe for fiat on ramps. So I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Coinbase listing everything is going to really <laughs> stop that. <laughs> All right. That is the last takes of the week. I haven't told Anthony that we always talk about what we're bullish on at the end of the show, but I'm going to ask you live for Anthony right now. Anthony, what are you bullish on? So this might be a funny thing to say, but I'm bullish on the bear, right? I'm yeah. bullish on 
the bear market because we do our best building in a bear market. We do our best innovation mm -hmm. in a bear market and it's much easier to pay attention and focus on things in a bear market. So I'm just overall much more kind of like bullish on, on the bear market than a lot of people are. I think it's a great time to get involved with crypto, whether that's to work within it or do something uh, within it as like a hobby. I obviously think it's a like, I, I mean, I've been stacking ETH lately. I can't believe ETH is kind of like at these prices and things like that. So I just look at the bear market as both a gift and an opportunity and that's why I'm, I'm bullish on the bear and I mean other than that like obviously just bullish on Ethereum generally the merge is coming still the, the market doesn't matter about like for the merge it's not like the merge gets pushed back because the market goes down in value or something like that so yeah just bullish on the bear is, is kind of like how I would describe it yeah, then uh, that's exactly the sentiments that we echo here on Bankless as well. So you can fit right in, Anthony. You, you guys at Bankless Station can tell why we uh, why we bring Anthony on every time the, the AI is powered down. Uh, and let's actually take a moment to talk about what you're up to over at the Daily Gui. For people that do not know Anthony Cesano and aren't familiar with the Daily Gui, I can't imagine that they aren't. But in case they aren't uh, aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what you do over at the Daily Gui? Yeah, so the Daily Gui is an Ethereum education system, much like Bankless. Uh, every day on my YouTube channel, I do like a 30-minute uh, video of basically the Ethereum ecosystem, kind of recapping what's happened, giving the news there. I'll also write a daily newsletter um, about Ethereum, just commentary about uh, something in Ethereum. And there's a Discord channel that's very, very active. We have a really great community in there. So if you want to be part of a very, very Ethereum native, I guess pretty much on the verge of Ethereum maximalist community, <laughs> then the Daily Gui is is definitely the place to be for, for you. Certainly, it's been a, it's a fantastic resource for me as well. So I appreciate all of the labor that you put into the Daily Gray, Anthony. It's, it's a relentless amount of energy. Uh, and Anthony, this is where you have to ask me about what I'm bullish about. Okay, what, what are you bullish about, sir? <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad you asked, Anthony. <laughs> uh, I'm, bull I'm bullish on Josh Rosenthal, the guy, the podcast that guest that created the Crypto Renaissance podcast, a very famous podcast episode in the Bankless ecosystem, returns to Bankless. He's coming back on July 4th, uh, Independence Day for, for the, uh, the Freedom Burgers out there. Uh, <laughs> and so we have a, a themed episode, an independence-themed episode coming on July 4th, Monday, July 4th. Uh, really excited to record that one. We're recording that a week from, uh, week from tomorrow with Josh Rosenthal. Uh, and so really excited to get that episode recorded. Uh, I always want to hear about what Josh Rosenthal has to say. Uh, Annie, I'm excited Anthony, for that any too. Last I love his first podcast that he did with right? you guys. So yeah, I'm definitely excited for that. Yeah, and as the person that usually puts the agenda together for these podcasts, uh, Josh Rosenthal gave me 19 pages of notes <laughs> to turn into oh, an wow. agenda. Oh my God, he, he has put in some work. Uh, and so he, he's, he's got some things to say and I'm excited to hear it. All right, Anthony, very last power of the show. You ready, ready for the meme of the week? Yeah, let's do it. Meme of the week. Uh, this is Kaleo on Twitter. He tweets out, don't worry, guys, I'm sure it'll hold. And the picture is of a SWAT team with a battering ram. The battering ram is the global recession. The SWAT team is three arrows capital in Celsius insolvency. And of course, the door is being held by a Cheeto. And that Cheeto is labeled 20K Bitcoin support. So far, has been holding, however. We are above $20,000 Bitcoin. Anthony, any comments on this meme of the week? <laughs> I mean, we went below it, so I guess like it broke and then someone put another Cheeto in there to get us back above 20K. <laughs> so let's see if the second Cheeto can hold stronger than the first one. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's, that is the idea. We can, we, we, maybe we just needed two Cheetos. Two Cheetos yeah, to get this two. done. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anthony, thank you so much for stepping in for Ryan during this Bankless Weekly roll-up. Like I say in the beginning, if you have not yet liked and subscribed, please go do that. Click that button on the YouTube right now. Uh, And if you're listening to this on the podcast, go rate and review uh, because of, like I say, the ETH price and the, and the five-star reviews on Bankless are highly correlated, so the bull market only begins when you give us those five-star reviews. <laughs> Anthony, thanks a lot for joining me, my man. Cheers. Thank you for having me. Risks and disclaimers, everyone. Crypto is risky, DeFi is risky, Bitcoin and Ether is risky, NFTs are risky, it's all risky. Also not being in crypto, also risky. So consider getting a job in crypto. Anyways, meanwhile, we are on the frontier. We're headed west. Uh, We are so glad you're with us on this bankless journey. I cannot do this from memory, but I'm close enough. So thank you for joining (laughs) us uh, this week on the Friday Weekly Roll-Up. Cheers. 